Welcome to Sophos Security Chat Chat, episode 245 for the 8th of July, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and this week, my co-host is John Shire. Welcome back, John. Hi, Chester. How are you doing? Pretty good. You know, it's, it's not that common that, that we end up uh, podcasting together. Usually, you end up filling in for me uh, on the chatless chat. So uh, it's it's, it's kind of good that we're both in the office and uh, able to, to share our thoughts on this week's news. Yeah, exactly. The the only times we do seem to get together is when on those rare occasions we're actually in the same room. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's nice to chat, uh, just the two of us on the podcast, and uh, hopefully it'll be another good one. Well, uh, sadly, uh, this story seems to just keep coming up too frequently, which is there's another new ransomware in town. Oh, yeah. This time, this one called Zepto, and um, it, it seems to be bear some resemblance, I guess, to Lockheed, but we're not quite sure why. I, you, you were speculating you think maybe they're just uh, copycats, or do you, do you think they, they maybe stole the source code and just renamed it? It's really hard to tell, isn't it? There's, uh, If you look at some of the imagery for this particular piece of ransomware, there's Lockheed is, is, all, is written all over it. Um, so yeah, is it that, you know, we were talking about this, McDonald's is, is popular in selling hamburgers and then Burger King pops up and they start getting popular in selling hamburgers. So I'm just going to start another burger chain and get in on that. So, you know, trading on the, the ransomware scheme if you will or am i just basically grabbing a brand and using that as my uh as my sort of go-to-market strategy something that people are already familiar with and and using that as, as my, my marketing tactic if you will so yeah it's hard to tell and, and the other piece is did they just basically steal the source code while we have no evidence of that you know did they just steal the source code make a few changes call it zepto change the uh the extensions and, and off they went so yeah it's it's hard to tell yeah, exactly. Because I mean, the reason Lockheed was, of course, called Lockheed was that after it uh, captured your files, it would rename them with an extension of .locky. And of course, that's precisely what this Zepto ransomware does as well. It renames them .zepto. And it's nice to see they're, they're keeping up with sort of the uh, the going rate or the price of Bitcoin. I, I also noticed in this case, they're asking for a one half of Bitcoin as the ransom, which in Canadian dollars right now is about $475, which kind of keeps it in line with the price of ransomware for the last year or so. So I guess uh, the market conditions even affect uh, ransomware criminals. Yeah, they do seem to keep uh, that payment rate at about 300 to 600 dollars, right? Somewhere in that range, allowing for some fluctuation of the uh, the Bitcoin exchanges. They've done that. They've also, you know, kept up with it seems to be the same sort of delivery mechanisms as well. So in this case, Zepto, as we've seen it, is arriving uh, as an attached zip archive or as an attached docm file, meaning a document with macros. Yeah, neither of which most of us are willing to block in our email gateways, sadly, and and continuing the the pattern of of being delivered via email. So uh, it's probably worth reminding your staff once again about the dangers of opening attachments and all that. And, and you're never going to stop all of it, unfortunately. But knowing that the criminals seem to be favoring email as one of the primary delivery mechanisms, it's worth reinforcing with staff that an unexpected invoice email that type of thing should be they should be extra cautious about and sometimes just that little reminder that that's the trick that the crooks are using you know a scanned image or a fax is coming in from your your smart copier or the other one is you know the invoice is attached and trying to convince you to open the invoice um, might prevent a few people from clicking it uh, by accident 
Yeah, and I think the one of the varieties here, the zip archive, uh, actually unpacks to a .js JavaScript extension. Paul Ducklin actually had uh, some neat advice, I think, in, in one of his recent stories, basically saying, you know, for the most part, if you can change the default file extension handling of .js files to, to being opened by Notepad so that when it is double-clicked by somebody uh, inadvertently, it just harmlessly opens up in Notepad. And, and for those who actually must process JavaScript files and understand what they are and how to use them, you can very easily you know, right-click, open with, and choose the appropriate file handler that way or the appropriate program. So another little mitigation that with a lot of recent ransomware seeming to use JavaScript as, as a distribution mechanism because it actually goes and grabs an exe at that point to, to actually you know, beat the payload. Right. Well, and since you mentioned Paul, uh, he also uh, wrote a story about uh, the dark web uh, this week. And it was interesting. So there was a, a, a report published by uh, some Canadian researchers uh, called Onion Scan. And this is the third such report that they've published. And one of their findings was that there's a lot more uh, shared resources and potentially identifying information in the dark web than you might think. And in this case, they were scanning all of the uh, Onion services provided over Tor for SSH servers. And they found that the public key of the SSH uh, servers that uh, something like 20 5% of them shared a public key in common, which basically means they're in the same shared hosting environment at the same ISP, which could certainly lead to um, more identifying information than a lot of people using uh, Tor hidden services might be comfortable with. Well, there sure is. And it's not just the metadata as well. It's the explicit data that you put out on the web that can potentially un unmask you, if you will, right? Just having this tool, which, you know, we I believe we both believe is a great tool, especially in, in the hands of you know certain people who need that anonymity so activists whistleblowers people that um, maybe you know in, in repressive regimes that, that need to get the word out so this is a a good tool however it's it's how you use it that can impact whether or not it's useful to you so if you go ahead and sign on to tor and then provide you know personal details about yourself in a web form or, or you're hosting a server on the dark web and you know in your FTP banner for example you say hey I'm you know coming from this ISP for example or whatever the case may be some identifying information then you've basically rendered the anonymity piece null and void yeah, I, I was quite surprised when Facebook published a Tor hidden service to access Facebook. It's like, so you've gone through all this trouble to anonymize yourself and then access a server that requires you to use your real identity. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's just bizarre. Yeah, and, and that's the, the lesson, you know, for for this is that Tor will at least look after the packets. They'll make sure that they're bounced around and laundered enough that it's difficult to tell where you're coming from or where you're going to. They'll encrypt your traffic, but the actual contents and, and the data that you stuff into those packets and make visible on either end is really up to you to make sure that uh, you, you're not divulging more than you care to. Yeah, I don't think most people are expert enough to properly cleanse themselves if they're trying to achieve some anonymity that way, you really need to use uh, a distribution that forgets everything by default, something like Tails, you know, boot a Tails uh, SD card or DVD or thumb drive or something. Because if you use your regular Chrome, Firefox, Safari and just run it through a Tor proxy, whether that's a appliance on your network or whether that's a, a service you're running locally on your computer, you're likely to screw it up bad enough that you will be identified. And um, if that's your purpose in life is to not be identified, don't take chances 
is go the safest route, boot from some sort of non-writable media like a DVD and uh, use something that's been tailored by experts to do the job better. Yeah, and if you do go to uh, torproject.org, the Tor's own site, there is a frequently asked question section uh, and, and stuff dealing exactly with this, right? Basically telling you what it can and cannot provide in terms of privacy and anonymity. So if you have any questions around how can Tor help you, that's a good place to start. Now, of course, not all problems can be solved technologically, and this has been a theme I've been bringing up more and more when I'm uh, presenting publicly. Sadly, you know, the technology can do a good job at, at uh, detecting, you know, programmatic patterns, right? But more and more social engineering is going into this, just like that Zepto ransomware trying to trick you into opening up that Word doc and enabling the macros, which there's, you know, few technical remedies to. People being tricked can't really be solved when they intentionally tell the technology to do bad things. And in this case, um, I was really happy to see a story from our uh, colleague Maria Varmasses. She, she deserves a special shout out, I think, on the podcast and that she helped me launch the chat chat a little more than six years ago and did all of our editing for the first episodes. And without her help. I don't think we'd have the podcast today. So I saw she did a good write-up though on, on Naked Security as well around a story about a guy who was able to take over someone else's account by simply being confident and uh, a bit of a bully with Facebook tech support. I mean, what exactly happened here? I mean, it sounds like he didn't even necessarily impersonate the right person, but was still able to take someone's account over. Well, that's just it, isn't it? Usually when you hear of some impersonation stories, there there's always an element of, well, maybe the email was compromised and they're, they're using that to then contact other services or, or to reset passwords or... Now, there's some piece of uh, of that person's identity that's already being used uh, beyond just their name, right? And in this case, it seems like that's really all it was. It was this person's name was being used in a very sort of forceful and insistent manner with uh, with Facebook tech support. It wasn't even coming from an email address registered to this user, but by again being uh, you know insistent and forceful he was able to to get facebook to turn off some of the security of that person's account and then eventually take over and delete some pages well it it does beg the question about how uh, these companies are auditing their support people and how they're taught to follow policy because in this case facebook requires uh, that you submit some sort of identity information to them like your driver's license or social security card in order to you know bypass the security measures like it's too factor authentication and all these types of things. And Facebook specifically told the attacker in this case that that um, that they needed to provide that that type of information. The attacker provided some uh, some fake identity documents, but the identity documents didn't even match the identity of the victim. Like they just accepted, oh, ID documents. Then boxes ticked. It doesn't matter that the identity documents submitted were for Jane Doe and the victim's name was Aaron. No problem. That's just right. The the existence of the documents alone was enough for Facebook to say, all right, well, we've ticked that box. You know, we sometimes talk about checklist security, how it can go wrong. And I think this is one of those examples where, okay, well, I ticked the box of he provided me with ID in this case. But the other thing that was interesting, I find, with the story is also how... Uh, Facebook's tech support people kept referring the actual owner of the account to a a form that he needed to fill out, which when he did would put him in contact with a tech support agent who would then turn him back to submit the form. And there's a sort of this circular pattern going. And every time he filled in the form, he received, he was contacted or, or was able to talk to somebody different within Facebook. And so there was no correlation of all the these events occurring. And so there, as far as the Facebook 
support people in their defense. This was a, an instance in time, one one data point. Well, it's similar to the story last week that uh, Duck and I were talking about with the unit testing that was done that was uh, all in isolation. But when you put it all together, you start to find these vulnerabilities in websites and things. And it's that type of thing again, without the audit trail of tying all the pieces together, without looking at everything as a whole picture rather than as individual incidents, it's sometimes hard to see the forest for the trees. If you're an organization that has to do things like password resets, think about your own IT policies, right? Use this as a good learning example to go, well, what would happen if a criminal called up and asked for a password reset for one of my executives? And what procedures do we have in place and what processes do we follow? And, you know, can we make sure that they're um, understood that the gravity of these things is truly a pretty big deal? and that can cause great damage and that we take those processes seriously and, and, don't, and don't just communicate it to your, your IT staff, communicate it to all your staff so that they don't get too upset and angry when they're the one calling in from the road for the password reset and have to jump through a couple hoops because it, it can make a big deal if that turns out that that person is now able to access all of your sensitive data. Yeah, I think that creating that security culture is, is a definite must. And if if everybody's on the same page and on board with what you're trying to achieve, then I think uh, you're going to end up in a much better place at the end. Well, and since we're talking about security culture, uh, I want to remind folks that we'll be, um, both of us, you and I, will both be at the Black Hat Conference as well as B-Sides Las Vegas and DEF CON in just a few weeks. And Sophos is a sponsor of Black Hat. So if you're attending Black Hat, feel free to stop by and say hello and uh, request from the booth staff if we're not around if you want to chat with us that, that somebody drop us a note and have us pop over if the mood strikes us we might even do a live chat chat from the stand yeah yeah i think we should we should definitely plan on that and and to, and to wrap up this week's talk i haven't done this in a while but i i often end the chat chat with talking about some some criminals who uh, may be serving some time for their crimes and this week illinois resident edward Mayerchek uh, agreed to plead guilty to fe a felony violation of the computer fraud and abuse act in the united states for what was known as Celebgate. Uh, this was the situation where several people had leaked lots of uh, intimate photos of uh, celebrities like Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Upton and a bunch of others. And, you know, th this story is kind of interesting because it, it shows that, in fact, there's been three or four different people now that have been uh, convicted of uh, hacking celebrities for, for different types of information that they've stolen. And that obviously the FBI has a great interest in, in pursuing people committing those crimes. But it kind of put me off a little bit. It made it feel like, oh, you know, people are only interested in going after celebrities. And that's not really true, is it? We see enough of this type of activity happening on a massive scale across the world. And there's really not an, it seems like there's not enough being done about it unless you are a big name corporation or a celebrity. Well, yeah, in this particular case, Edward, the the attacker, I guess, uh, impersonated a security part of an internet service provider type thing to get these logins. So he'd send you an email saying, you know, I'm Facebook security and there appears to be a problem with your account. Please uh, submit your username and password so we can verify your identity, that type of thing. And then, of course, unfortunately, some of these celebrities or their handlers fell for that. What we'd like to remind people is while the criminals may not be after your intimate photos, they're using these same techniques in mass, right? where we're seeing this hitting millions of people a year and people unfortunately voluntarily handing over their passwords. Don't think that this is something that uh, only attacks uh, celebrities and famous people and rich people because they have a lot to steal. You're worth it as well. And criminals are able to do this in mass with very little effort. So it's not like uh, they had to spend the weekend coming after your credentials. They're going after you and 20 million of your closest friends. And also, I think it's time to remind people to sort of abandon that cavalier attitude of, well, it's 
it's just poor little me, right? Who would want anything from me? I, I don't have nude pictures of myself and I don't have anything important. Well, you do have, in many cases, something important. You have an online presence which can be used to do all sorts of different things. Even if it doesn't impact you directly, a lot of these scams can in turn impact other people. And you know, we use the term herd immunity in, in biology when talking about uh, immunizing against disease. There's there's a security herd immunity as well. If, if enough of us are are not falling for these scams and are making it much more difficult for the scammers to get our personal information and use it against us or other people, then it makes the whole ecosystem that much stronger. Yeah, turns out your good name is worth something. On that note, I'll conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 245. As always, for the latest in security news, you should go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you're looking for protection at home and maybe protection against some of these phishing attacks, let me recommend home.sophos.com, our free anti antivirus for Mac and Windows because it does more than just antivirus. It also does web filtering, which we uh, put a lot of active effort into trying to prevent you from going to sites that may be trying to harvest those credentials. So protect those PCs. Uh, there's no cost, so you, there's no reason not to do it. For the podcast, of course, we welcome you to get it via RSS. You can find us on iTunes, the TuneIn app, the Google Play Store, and anywhere else fine podcasts are found. And until next time, stay secure.